Morning, everyone. Good, uh, good to see you all. Uh, Psalm 139. God is great. Um, that uh, video clip that we had uh, this morning, um, for those who may not know, is by an American guy called Louis Giglio. And uh, he has a Christian ministry uh, to students. And uh, he spends his time uh, doing lecture tours of student campuses, or is it campusi, or whatever it is, however you pronounce the plural of campus, and uh, both in America and uh, elsewhere in the world. And that is but one of a series of DVDs uh, that he has made. Uh, we have seen a number of them in our home group. And uh, as you can see, Louis Giglio is somebody who is very passionate and excited about God. And uh, on his lecture tours, his general style is to talk about what he believes to be the hallmark of God on the whole of his creation, whether it's light years away in space, like we saw in that clip from the DVD, Indescribable, or at a microscopic level within us, uh, with a substance in our bodies called laminin, um, which is the glue that holds our body together, or the molecules that make up what we are as we see each other. And uh, incredibly, when you put that under the microscope, and in fact you can go home and do a Google on laminin, okay, and up will come the microscopic images of laminin. And that too is, ironically, a cross shape. And so he says God has got the hallmark of his creation everywhere you care to look, whether at the macro or at the micro level. I don't know how many of you follow the uh, uh, letters correspondence column in the Citizen's New, New Citizen newspaper. But uh, in recent weeks, if you do, you will have seen that uh, Abby Brook and Chris Wintle uh, here at Abbey have uh, sought to correspond uh, in that column, responding to letters written by somebody who is anti-God, uh, anti-Christian, and generally it would seem anti-faith. And uh, in some of the other letters that have been written in, apart from this one particular individual, uh, uh, Mr. Druce, uh, they have been commended for being courteous, helpful, and thought-provoking. So we praise God for the work that uh, Abby and Chris have been doing quite separately uh, in that way. Um, this was in Friday's Citizen, just on a lighter note. Light relief for militant atheists, the letter is called. The furor over the council's attempt to ban the distribution of Christian leaflets on the streets of Gloucester and the subsequent outpourings from militant atheists, such as Mike Druce, have even reached the quiet reaches of Bexhill-on-Sea in East Sussex. Your fame spreads. Or is it the fame of Mike Druce? I don't know. May I suggest a little light humor to leaven this highly contentious issue? This ode sprang to mind this morning. There is a Gloucestershire man called Druce, who at the mention of God turned puce. Life has no meaning, he stated. 
about the religion he hated. I might as well be an elk or a moose. So, just a lighter note on what's been quite an intense exchange of letters. Don't know how many of you would have seen last Sunday, last Sunday's Songs of Praise from Northern Ireland. Um, and one of the characters uh, in the style of the program that they spoke to was a guy called Andy Hill. And he was several times uh, national champion at surfing. And he also ran uh, a business on the beach, at the end of the beach, um, which was for all things surfing. His life was surfing, and he was addicted to surfing. That was all his life was about. But even though he lived what seemed to be a great lifestyle, it's all fast-moving and racy and all that thing, and doing well in his business, he just had that feeling that there was something else in life that he needed, that he was missing out on. He actually went through a period when he became unwell. And during that period, uh, putting two, to two together, I may, may be making five, uh, he, he went on a Christianity explored course. And as a result of that, he became a Christian from being an atheist. And he spoke of how his life was too busy to be able to take time to think of anything that was spiritual or significant or important in life. And he said how important that had become for him because it had transformed the whole of his life. He was still into surfing. He was still... You know, that was still the passion of his life. But all of that now had a context in that he had a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus. And he said, in our rat race of life, in the hustle and bustle of people's everyday living, it is important that you, not like me, that sort of, it came upon me because of health reasons, but to consciously take time out and to consider God. And in Psalm 139 that Claire has read to us, um, it would certainly appear that David in this psalm had taken time out uh, to consider God. And then in addition, he's taken time to compose this psalm that kind of got, a, got itself built in uh, to the worship of God uh, in when they met together. Let's just take uh, a look at this psalm. Now, it's quite a long one, but we'll move through it quite quickly. Um, first of all, we look at uh, overview verses 1 to 6. And uh, here, David says, as he marvels at God, that God knows everything. God knows everything. In verse 2, he says he knows what we do. He even knows what we're going to think before we actually think it. Verse 3, he says, in effect... God knows our lifestyle. He knows the preferences of our lifestyle. The things that we like to do, the ways that we like to spend our time. He knows all about our character. He knows the very things that make us tick. Verse 4, as with our thoughts in verse 2, so with our speech. He knows what we're going to say 
before we say it. And he knows what it is that we like to talk about, our favorite topics of conversation. He knows us through and through. And, and in verse 5, David is in effect saying that it's just like God has him in the palm of his hand, examining him, scrutinizing him, putting him under the microscope to know all that there was about David to know. Not just externally by observation, but inwardly uh, the things that made David, David. He says, God, you're in front of me. You're ahead of me to know where I'm going to be going. You see me coming and the things I'm going to do. You're behind me to know where I've been. In fact, God, (laughs) you know me infinitely better than I even know myself. And in verse 6, David is amazed by it all. Verses 1 to 6, God knows everything. And then, in verses 7 to 12, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Verse 8, David says that even if we explore the highest heavens, or if we go to the greatest of depths, we will find that God is there. There are those of you that will remember back to the early days of, uh, of, um, of manned space flights. And uh, there was the Russian spacecraft that went up, and the cosmonauts there had a good look around, whilst they were up there, and I think they reported back to their base station, um, well, we're up here, we're having a good look around, it's all very wonderful and great, but we haven't found God yet. And uh, in contrast to that, when the Americans went up, they, re- they just sort of were overcome. They were awestruck by the wonder of God's creation, and they did that famous reading from Genesis, in the beginning, God created. They saw that God uh, was there. In verse 9, David says, if I travel to the extremities of the earth, then I find that God is there. There is nowhere that I can go where God will not be. In verses 11 to 12, David says that even if he tried to hide from God in the darkness, it would be a futile thing to try and do because even the darkness is as though it's light to God. God is everywhere. There's uh, theological expressions, terms that are used for the fact that God knows everything. We talk about the omniscience, the all-knowingness of God. And uh, when God is everywhere, we talk about his omnipresence. He is all-present. God is everywhere. There's proper theological terms uh, for those. I just use ordinary, everyday, helpful ones that I understand. Then in verses 13, uh, David says, God is our creator. God is our creator. I remember back several years now to when we were living uh, in Bristol. And uh, in the church that I went to on a Sunday morning, uh, I used to take a a group of young teenage lads. And uh, we used to look at things from the Bible together. And I, I distinctly remember one, one Sunday when we met. And uh, I started out with uh, 
a sort of discussion starter by posing to them the question, um, why do you think we are here? Why do you think we're here? And they looked at each other and they scratched their heads and I said, okay, you know, let's have, have some ideas. Why, why do you think we're here? And uh, one of the lads came back, I vaguely recall, saying, well, me mum and dad wanted a baby. And I'm the baby, but I've grown up now. And so that's why he was here. And I turned to another lad and I said, how about you? He said, I haven't got a clue, he said. Don't have a clue why I'm here at all, sorry. Can't do any better than that. Turned to another lad. Oh, he said, uh, I, I've got a sister. And my parents wanted my sister to have a little brother. And, and so that's why I'm here. You see. And I turned to Wayne. And his name I distinctly remember. Because pain rhymes with Wayne. <laughs> and that was precisely what he was in the group. And uh, I said, okay, then, Wayne, wh how about you? Oh, I don't know, he said. I think I was just an accident. <laughs> and in these verses, verses 13 to 18, one thing above all else that David came to realize was that he and his life was not an accident. His life was not accident. He wasn't here uh, just at the whim of his parents because they wanted a baby or they wanted a boy or whatever it was. Uh, his existence on earth was something far more wonderful, something far more profound, something far greater than that. And in verses to the first part of verse, uh, verse 13 through to the uh, first part of verse 16, David is amazed as he recalls that his existence was something that God had initiated. And that God is intended, as he describes his formation, in the womb of his mother. And he writes, for you created my inmost being. And in the latter part of verse 16, in the same way that God knew what he was going to say before he said it, and what he was going to think before he thought it, David says, as far as his life, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All my days, all the days ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. No wonder we find him praising God in 14, because he is fearfully and wonderfully made. When we look at uh, verse, eight, verse 18, it says, uh, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Uh, you find that uh, at least the Bible scholars and commentaries that I have read uh, put a couple of alternative uh, interpretations on that. Um, David is described his formation uh, in the womb before he was born. He talks about his life, uh, all the days that were ordained for him, being written in God's book. Uh, and then it says, when I awake, I am still with you. And they say, some say that is just David moving from day to day. And although um, he goes to sleep and loses consciousness, uh, when he awakes, he finds that, that God is still there. <laughs> that God is still there. Uh, and he is there with him. 
But there are others who say that uh, that is looking, we've had David talking about when he was being formed in the womb from the start of his existence. Um, he speaks about um, his life, the days that were ordained for him. That's his life. And that when I awake, I am still with you, is looking beyond this life when he awakes after death <laughs> to find that he is in the very presence of God because of a relationship that, uh, that David had with God. And so as he considers that God knows him from the beginning and to the end when he is with God in eternity, he praises him for he is fearfully and wonderfully made. But then in verses 19 to 22, <laughs> David has a reality check. And it's just as though in these verses, David uh, comes down to earth with a big bang. He's been there and he's been thinking about God. He's been thinking about the greatness of God, the wonder of God, knowing everything, the wonder of God, um, being everywhere, the wonder of God, being his creator. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, he comes down to earth, and he comes down to earth with a big bang because he looks at the reality of what he sees in the world. And he recognizes that there were all too many people that didn't think the same way as he did about God. I guess he didn't have a citizen newspaper I don't expect Mike Druce was writing his letters then. But David recognizes that there were those who did not think the same way as he did about God, who did not appreciate God. There were those who opposed God. There were those who denied him. There were those who, like Mike Druce, didn't believe uh, in him at all. And it showed up in their lifestyle and the sort of way that society resulted uh, as the result of them being like that. But David had determined in his heart that he was going to stand for God. And David had determined in his heart that he was going to stand for righteousness, realizing that God, God, in his own way and in his own time, would deal uh, with his enemies. Looking back over the psalm, I suppose... Uh, for some of us, it can be very uncomfortable to realize that God puts us in the palm of his hand to search, to examine, to scrutinize, to test us so that he knows everything about us. We could find that quite an uncomfortable thing. It could also be quite an uncomfortable thing for us to realize that God is everywhere, and there is nowhere that we can go to where he is not. And even if I wanted to hide from God, then that is something that would be totally impossible. We might feel totally uncomfortable, ill at ease uh, because of that. But that is because God has made us with a conscience. And we have a notion of what is right. <laughs> and we have a notion of what is wrong. And when we are conscious of our shortcomings before God, then we do begin to feel uneasy. 
perhaps very uncomfortable. But not so with David. Not so with David. David was the very opposite. He enjoyed a real, true, everyday living relationship with God. His life was far from perfect. We know that. There were awful things that David did in his life, but there was always a way back to God for David, for him to enjoy uh, that relationship. So it was a wonderful, it was a reassuring thing for him to know uh, that his faith in God was in a God who knew everything, who knew the end for beginning. The fact that God knew everything about him, he found so reassuring and comforting. And that his life was in God's hands because that is a place of security and safety. He couldn't be anywhere better than in the hand of a God who knew everything about him. In such a relationship, why would he want to flee from the presence of God? Why would he want to hide from God? The fact that God is everything was not something that he considered a threat, but it was something that, again, was reassuring. If God is everywhere, then that, God, that, that meant that God was with him, and he could know the reality of the presence of God with him. In such a relationship where he knew God as his creator, he recognized that with all his days written in God's book, he could live out his life to fulfill that purpose and intention that God had for him. And so the psalm concludes with David expressing his prayer and desire before God. Search me, O God, he says, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, he starts the psalm sort of as he realizes all of these things. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, that sort of, he came to understand and to conclude and to realize that. And um, after he considered it, you know, it wasn't a thing that was threatening to him. It was a thing that he welcomed and reassured. So at the end of the psalm, that's his prayer. Lord, I welcome this. Search me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Why was this? Well, having come to know God, he now desires to live his life openly and transparently before God. He wanted to know God's forgiveness for those things that offended him. He wanted to walk in the paths of righteousness, <laughs> Psalm 23, and to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That came to be his desire. So this morning, Psalm 139, as we sit, as you sit in your seats, I, I stand up here and, you know, uh, speak, and it's for me as much as it's for you this morning. Um, how do we identify and relate to this particular psalm? Do we find it an encouragement, something that we welcome, it is reassuring uh, and something that we can hang on to that will help us as we go out and live our days uh, through uh, this week? Or do we sit with a measure of unease in our seats? 
we find it all a bit too intimidating, a bit too invasive, a bit too threatening, making us feel somewhat uncomfortable. Andy Hall, that guy on Songs of Praise, spoke about the importance of taking time out in the hustle in the bustle of our lives to seek God and to think these sorts of issues through. Jeremiah 29 promises this. You will seek me, and if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's a promise that God gives. If we seek him, we will find him. In the New Testament, James chapter 4, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God gives us that great invitation to do just that, to draw near to him so that he might draw near to us, so that in the Lord Jesus we might have a relationship with God, a relationship like David enjoyed, where he welcomed God because his life was in his hands. Um, We're going to sing a song in in a moment. It's that great hymn of the church, How Great Thou Art, uh, with great words to it. And uh, then after that, Paul will close our service with, with prayer. And then after that, uh, if uh, there's anything that we've considered this morning, either in the DVD clip or that's gone on in the service or something that's come up in this psalm, and uh, you would like to just uh, inquire further, some clarification of what it meant and that sort of thing, or if there's just issues that you've got in your life and whilst you're here this morning, you'd like somebody to pray with you. Then, then Roger and uh, Mark and Claire, they will have uh, the prayer lanyards on, and uh, you can go to either of those, and, uh, or anybody else that you know, and you would prefer <laughs> to pray with you, then we can do that. That can happen in here, or we can go to the beehive just along the corridor if you would prefer privacy. But uh, may this salve, may your time here this morning be a great blessing to you and encouragement for Jesus' sake. Amen.